sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. She is you. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to today's Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. I'm your host, Dory DiCarlo, and you know we are here week after week, show after show, breaking those myths that mompreneurs and businesswomen, especially those of us building our businesses from home, are just dabbling in between bake sales and getting our nails done. We're not. We are smart, we are savvy, and we are sharing the wisdom of women in business and in life. And I'm really looking forward to sharing today's guest with you here on the Author's Alley, Christina McMurray. You know, what an amazing story she has written here. And I'm just going to give you a little background on her. She was born in November, November 15th, where I'm a year older, a year a day, in the Bronx, where I was born too. So I just totally love it. She grew up in Rockland County, where she met and married her husband, Gene McMurray, back in 1985. They settled into White Plains. In 86, they had their daughter, Kim. And four months later, Chris opened Chris's family daycare. And this was her business for close to 20 years. In November of 1988, her son's Scott joined the family. Due to an addiction, Jean and Chris divorced in 1993, and then because of sobriety, they remarried in 2020, and the day we're recording this is actually their anniversary of their remarriage. In 2006, she closed the daycare due to a spinal fusion, and then several months later, her son Scott was diagnosed with a very rapid form of cancer and he died in 2011. She and Jean relocated to South Carolina, and it's where they currently live, and she's written a book about this, and I want to read a little thing that is said about it. An amazing family account of a true family tragedy turned into a lifetime of lessons through the one person to whom this meant forfeiting his life to teach. A lifetime of lessons of faith, perseverance, understanding higher powers, and somehow being able to move on. It is an awe-inspiring, tear-jerking, faith-affirming story that will remind you that no matter how bad things get, with family and faith, you can survive anything and come out on the other side as more complete human beings. The name of this book is Live, Laugh, Fly, A Family's Journey Through Childhood Cancer, Unimaginable Grief, and the Realization That Love Never Dies. It is a wonderful book, and it's an amazing thing to be reading a story about somebody, the true story of of what went on in your life, (laughs) and have it be so inspiring. So, Chris, welcome to Word of Mom Radio. Thank you for having me. It is absolutely my pleasure. You know, it really is. It is a remarkable thing to, in honor of your son, see, this to me is the way you honor someone's life. That if you're going to write, tragedy is tragedy, death is death, everything's born, everything dies, as parents, not supposed to be in that order. Right. So the way this book begins is how you're on a plane ride. So I'm serious. You have to tell the story of (laughs) what made you write this story. Well, I never intended to write a book. 
Never. I, I'm a babysitter. I take care of kids. I, I am not a writer. But what happened was, after Scott had passed, I would notice so many signs, especially after I would just be crying out for him. Are you okay? Are you okay? I would get these signs that were amazing. So I just wrote them down with the date. So I don't forget because we're getting old. So I had just written down in the notebook the date and the sign. Two years later, I am on a plane from Charleston to upstate New York to help at my friend's therapeutic horse farm. And I sit next to a woman. You start making the usual small talk. And all of a sudden, she looks at me and she's like, do you have any children? And that at the time, because it was only two years since Scott passed, it was a very difficult question because if I don't mention him, I apologize in my head to him. But if I do mention him, I run the risk of her being a little nervous and uncomfortable. And then that makes me like, oh, I only have an hour flight to the connection. So I'm like, I'll just go for it. So I'm like, yes, I have a daughter. She lives and works in D.C. And I said, my son passed away two years ago. And she looks at me and she's like, you, your son, you're writers. And I'm like, no. And she's like, no, you and your son, you're writers. And she kept going on to where I said, well, we're not illiterate. You know, we know how to write. And then she just said, I am a medium and your son is here. And he's told me that he has sent you many signs and you're supposed to write a book to help other grieving families. So when she first told me, I was just like, kind of like, yeah, okay, right? Really not believing much. And then I'm like, oh, she's making work for me? And she's like, well, yeah, which would be Scott to do that. But then she started talking about other things. She started talking about my husband. She started talking about my daughter. She she was talking about things that nobody would know. So now um, I make the connection. I call my husband. I'm like, you're not going to believe what just happened on the plane. And of course, he's like, well, what'd you say to tip her off? Nothing. Um, did you did she want any money? No. Did she want anything afterwards? No. Did you have her name? I said, yes, I do have her name. So he goes, all right, you get to your friends, and I'm going to do a deep Google search on her and find out. I'm like, okay. A couple hours later, I call him, and he's like, well, she's a pretty renowned medium. And I'm like, she is. He goes, so what are you going to do? I said, I guess I'm writing a book. <laughs> That's what happened. And so I started writing the book. But it was interesting because when I first started writing it, I started with the signs because that's kind of where I thought the book would be. And then one of my daughter's best friends is a reporter, and I had sent it to her. And she was like, no, I knew you as a single parent. You need to go back to there, and you need to start that story there. And that's what I did. And it took seven years to write because the memories would be so painful that I'd, you know, be on the floor ugly crying and I'd have to put it away for months at a time. But then I would open the drawer and there it was. And I'm like, all right, let me get back to it because that's what I was supposed to do. So I did it. And you did it really well. And it, you know, there are parts of it that, believe me, I was ugly crying reading. (laughs) But good tears, good tears. And that's what, there's so many uplifting components that go into this story. Yes. And your son and your daughter. Mm -hmm. And in how Scott handled all of this. 
share with people that haven't had the chance to read this yet? Yeah, Scott was diagnosed, well, New Year's Day is when we brought him to the hospital. You know, and I do think about that because, you know, sometimes we're just guided and there's something that makes you do something that's out of character and that he was complaining about his neck hurting. And he was complaining about it for maybe two days at that point, but it's New Year's Eve, he's 19. I asked him if he's going to stay home, you know, that's the big test for a 19-year-old. He was like, no, he's going out. Okay, I gave him a couple aspirin. The next morning, he called that he wasn't feeling well. So I picked him up. And just the way he got in the car and turned that neck, I said, you know what, let's go to the hospital. I'm sure you just sprained it or something. He was pledging a fraternity, which really is against what I do. I usually don't take to the hospital as a thing. You know, you have aspirin, you take a nap. But I did. And thank goodness I did. Because I think about that, if he would have gone back to college two weeks later, and I remember asking the doctor what would have happened, he would have collapsed and he could have just died at school and then we would have known, you know, how sick he was. So that, all the tests on the January 1st started to just come back and then sure enough, he had a very aggressive rare cancer called desmoplastic small round cell tumor at 19 years old. And he was given, I think it was like a 10% chance to survive two years. So we knew we were dealing with the monster. And we also knew that we could try to get it into remission, but eventually it would come back. And we just wanted him to live as much as he could. Uh, that's one of the things that Gene says in there that that, you know, until he didn't want to anymore. Mm -hmm. When I lost my mom, I called her the night before she died. She was in the hospital before the phones went off. And she said, you know, I'm just too tired. Yeah. I can't live like this anymore. And I was like, you know what, mommy, I love you more than anyone in the world. And it's okay. She's like, really? I can just go to sleep now? You know, I mean, 27 years. So it'll be 28 years in in January. It still brings tears to my eyes, you know. Because let's face it, illness is a consolation prize, you know, to watch somebody you love be in pain. It is that we have that place, but so often we take that pain and then use it to just justify all the other pain that we feel. And and to me, the way you've turned everything that you have faced in your life, I mean, even the stuff that you went through with Gene and, and everything else, and, and here you both are. Yeah. You know, and, and together and strong. And it's just a remarkable thing because in the best of circumstances, marriage isn't easy. That's right. You know, and addiction happened long before illness. Oh, yeah. Well, we were married in 1985. And I was, you know, we met in, around 83. And we did, he did go into a rehab while we were dating and stuff. But I knew nothing about alcoholism. I knew, I knew nothing about it. So, but I always just thought, oh, you know, I'm young and I'm naive and I'm just like, well, you know, we love each other, so it'll be fine. And then, you know, it escalates to the point of where then it, it was real bad and I asked him to leave and thank goodness he did. And the kids at the time were six and four years old and we didn't have contact for years and he moved out to California and so I was just doing the daycare. But the thing is, I realized that, okay, their lives are forever changed, but now it's up to me to make sure that they have a good life, you know? So as long as I had them as my focus 
everything else falls into place. It really does. I just worked hard every day and did what I needed to do to make sure that they have a good life. And the other thing, like I do tell parents that are going through a separation or a divorce or any type of advice, the best thing I could say is to never, ever badmouth their father or their mother in front of the children. You have, I have friends that I can complain to, but I would never do it in front of the kids, you know, so this way they didn't grow up feeling a hate or an anger. They knew he had an illness. I tried to explain, you know, as best as I can for children. And he has an illness, and he needed to work on that to get better. They never had the idea that we would remarry. I never had the idea that we would remarry. Never. So that was a big, wonderful surprise then afterwards. And we were divorced for close to eight years. Some marriages are even strong enough to survive divorce. <laughs> That's you true. Know? Well, yeah. How did yeah. it happen? I mean, really? I know. It was crazy. Well, after I think he was sober a couple of years in California, um, we, had, we had made some contact then, and the kids had actually gone out to visit him for a week or so and had a good time. And then he came to visit, and then he made a decision after he was sober a couple of years that he wanted to come back to the area and be a part of the kids' life. And honestly, I wasn't that happy about it. I felt like he was treading in on my territory. I was taking them to games and this and that. And plus, I did still have some anger with him because anytime I tried to talk to him about, you know, my feelings and what had happened, he wasn't ready to hear it. And then a turning point came when we were at one of Scott's baseball games. And he's sitting on one part of the bleachers and I'm sitting on the other. And I see our daughter sit with him for like 15 minutes and come back and sit with me. And I saw that just that one time at the game and I called him up. He had moved to Yonkers and I had called him up and I just said, we need to talk about this because the kids cannot be put into that position. And I knew I had to change my attitude and I had to get rid of the anger that I was feeling. So he agreed and we went out and for hours, you know, I think we're at the Valhalla Dam and for hours, we just really, uh, we said what we needed to say. And what was so interesting was, as I was saying, like, how could you have done this? How, you know, you were my best friend, my husband. Why wasn't we enough? But once I was able to really fully understand the addiction, you know, once you do this drug, really this one time, he couldn't stop. And he knew that we would lose everything if he would have stayed. And so he just left. But then I realized, and he was asking for forgiveness. And when someone is really asking for forgiveness, I forgave him. But also I realized I liked who I became during this divorce. And I wouldn't have become that person because I grew up in a pretty sheltered Bronx Italian household. I never had even driven to New Jersey by myself. And here, you know, I had been with the kids. I ran, I had a business. I was taking care of dad. We, you know, I was all over with the kids and doing things. And I liked who I became. I became stronger. I became more independent. So even though I say that experience was certainly very difficult of being a single mother, I'm so grateful for that experience because it taught me so much. Once I realized that, then with forgiveness, we could be in the same room again. And I didn't have that anger. Then the next thing I know, we're at the kids' games and having a good time and we're laughing. Then the next thing I know, we were falling back in love again. But we were better versions of ourselves. I was stronger he was stronger. So although we still have, you know, our personalities, we were better people. So we both 
grew in a better place. And we got remarried actually within 2000. So we are 21 years today of our remarriage. Wow. You know, on that note, let that sink in, everybody, as we take a quick break and say thank you to our sponsors. We'll be back in just a moment here on Word of Mom Radio. She is brave. She is strong. She is you. Because you're that woman who's got a product or a service that you're looking to promote. Or you're out there seeking to support other women in business to help women learn, network, and build the businesses of their dreams. Because when you win, we win. We all know a survivor. Some of our friends and family have made it through difficult times. Some of us don't make it. Losing a loved one to cancer, a car accident, or any other unfortunate event can be crippling and unavoidable. But one of the hardest subjects to talk about is suicide. Too often, our youth decide that leaving this place is easier than facing the struggle forced upon them every day. More than one in four children go through some form of bullying or another. Most of us survive with scars, but for some... The inner demons created cannot be recognized or treated in time to ensure they make it through. Bullying in every form is very much avoidable. It starts with me and it starts with you. This is Kelly Carius from No Such Thing as a Bully reminding you to do your part when you see bullying happen. If you don't know what that is, call 403-447-4404 or go to nosuchthingasabully.com. Don't let the name fool you because stadiumbags.com has a line of clear bags that enable you to use your phone and your smart devices without removing them from your bag. Not only that, but the product is so good it'll stand up to the cleaning solvents that you need to use now to make sure that when you come home, you come home safely. So take a look at stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we're your clear choice because safety it's in the bag. We are back here on Word of Mom Radio. We are talking with Chris McMurray about her wonderful book, Live, Laugh, Fly, and the journey. My children's father and I are very successfully divorced. My marriage broke up. My mother died January 9th, and my marriage broke up March 15th of 1994. It was a banner year. At one point, we tried to get back together, and our kids were like, now we understand why we're divorced. (laughs) Because we don't work married. We are great friends. My 60th birthday, he made dinner for me. We have fallen back into a wonderful relationship because now we have grandchildren to celebrate together. And I remember when we first met our grandson the first time and I was hugging him and I was like, look at what we did. This never would have happened had we not been brave enough to try. Even though we didn't work, we worked together as parents. We always put the kids first. They never had to choose between the two of us. Look at what we've created. And we were doing this as we're hugging each other. This is what I'm saying to him. And my son's like sitting on the couch, just like just watching. And, and, you know, it made him now that he's a parent and he realized how hard that was and how wonderful it was that we found that way to create that friendship. It would have been lovely if we had fallen back in love. I think it's, I, but again, like I said, sometimes mar- marriages even survive divorce. That's so right. So in now that remarriage and in this now 21 years that you're together and then Scott gets sick, you know, let's face it, so often that blows apart a marriage. Absolutely. And I understand that completely. And before you have a, a sick child and you would hear 
about the divorce rate with the sick child. It would blow your mind because you think, how could that be? Because you're here to help, you know, your child and work together. But it is such a pressure cooker that, I mean, there was a moment, you know, that I had a, a breakdown with it and Scott's illness. And we had to really relearn how to communicate for this. Not only did Scott have to say what he needed, we all had to say what we needed and work together for it. And it, it is extremely difficult to care for any person who is sick, let alone your child. But we did. And I'm so grateful that we were able to, to do it and to give Scott those years that he wanted. Again, in reading the story, and I, I so encourage you to read this book because it is a feel-good book. And it's a crazy thing to say <laughs> that it's a feel-good book, but it is. And crying is cathartic. So, you know, it's it's good to have, it's got some good cry points, but at the end, you're going to walk away just going, wow, you know, I, I believe in signs. My mom yeah. still comes to me in music every once in a while. She just finds that way yes. to let me know that she's there. And I know that you talk about how those signs, how you see them and why sometimes we don't even realize that they're a sign. Right. Well, the first time that it happened was just a couple of days after he had passed. Now, before he passed, it was interesting because you do have that time. And that is, if I could say, a gift of cancer or a gift of an illness is that you have that time to talk and to just say, don't leave anything left unsaid. So one time we were talking and I said, Scott, are you going to watch over me? after you pass he's like yeah and then quickly he's like well not all the time and I'm like yeah don't watch over me all the time that would be a little too weird but anyway it was a couple of days after he had passed and all I could do was make it to the front porch that was it me and the dog that was all I could do was make it to the front porch and I remember and I was just sobbing and sobbing and then I like look up and I'm like Scott are you okay are you okay and this cold air just comes around me and it wasn't inside my body it was the air outside and it just brought a chill in my entire body and meanwhile it was a beautiful May day probably like 80 degrees but this cold air and at first then I was shocked at it but then I was like is this you is this you and I didn't tell anybody about that people didn't know even my husband until he saw the book because I didn't want people to think I was losing my mind, you know, as soon as God had said, oh, no, now we got to worry about Chris. But that is what was the first thing that I was like, okay, okay. And then just different signs. And the bird's nest was an interesting one. And that had happened a couple of weeks after he had passed. And that for 25 years, I had brought all my house plants out onto the front porch. That's where they were for the whole summer. And this one you know, right after Scott had passed me and the dog are sitting there on the porch and I look next to me and in one of the house plants is a bird's nest right next to me. And this bird would sit there on her nest. And, you know, I have a 100-pound lab next to me and this bird is not flinching. And so we kind of had this agreement, like, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. We're both just going to be on this porch. And I watched as this bird was on her nest. I watched as all of a sudden four blue eggs were in that nest. I saw the eggs crack and three birds were peeking up at her and I watched her feed them. I watched her teach them to fly and her and the three birds flew away, her babies, and one blue egg remained. 
and I took that egg and I put it in my garden. And I'll never forget that night, Scott's nurse came for dinner and I told her all about it. And I showed her the nest and the nest has this blue ribbon that went all through the nest also. And I showed her the nest and she was like, well, Chris, there were four eggs and now there's three. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, that's the way it is. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, there were four of you and now there's three. And I immediately felt that connection. And I was like, okay. And I just started thinking, I just started noticing. There are things going on here. It was amazing to see because it was every time that I was crying out for him. In fact, it's one of the things I say, I'm having more contact with you now than I did your first semester of college, you know? <laughs> it gave me so much hope, so much hope. And no fear about it because he was, he was, he's with me. He's there. He's showing me. He's okay because he would say to me before he passed, you're my biggest worry. You're my biggest worry. And he would say, Mom, you can only be sad for three days. And I remember being like, three days? I, I wanted a pet gerbil more than three days. You know, I promise you, God, I'll try. I'll try. And I try every day. And he has shown me, and I remember even the first year, we, fought, we made the first anniversary, and I'm going on for a walk, and I'm saying, thank you, because you have been with me. How is the person who I'm grieving is the person who has held me up this year. It, it, it has been amazing. It's been an amazing journey to see that our loved ones are with us, and they want us talking about them, and they want to see us laughing, and they want that joy. And I remember the first time I laughed after Scott died, and I immediately felt guilty, like, how could I laugh? You know, my son is gone, but it feels good to laugh, and he would want me to laugh everything. So I want him to be proud of me. I know he's watching me. And I know when I die, he's going to be the first person I see. And I want him to hug me and just say, you did good, Mom. You did good. That's what I hope for. And it, it's so clear to me. And in, in the book, uh, one of the signs is a picture of Scott on the beach at the Jersey Shore when he is about 20 months old. And he's looking down on the beach, and his legs are spread, and his arms are spread behind him. And the water would come through his legs into his face and knock him down. And he thought that was the funnest thing. And everybody else on their blankets would watch him as he's doing that. And everybody would laugh. And this picture was just a memory to me. I didn't know a picture existed. And then at Scott's memorial, one of his aunts brought that. And she had it in a frame. And she says, oh, I found it in a drawer. I was like, great, because I just love this memory. I put it on my mantle, and that's where it was for seven years as I'm writing the story. And I would look at that picture so many times because it brings me joy to see that. And one day I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wait a minute, what is that? And where his arms are spread out, it looks like angel wings. And then when you follow one of his arms down to the shadow, there's the number four there. And after the four is the letter F. And then a little bit, you see a number 11. And then you see a picture that looks like a mama bird and a baby bird underneath her, but the baby bird's not fully grown. And when I looked at that, I had to, I guess, because 4-11 is Scott's death date. He died April of 11, of 2011. And that made it so clear that we all have a birthday and we all have a death day. We just don't know when it is, but Scott's was literally written in the sand. And we're only here for a short time. And we're all here to walk each other home. 
There should be more joy. There should be more love. We're only here for a short time together. And that's one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn. I can't think of a better way to end this conversation than on that note, because (laughs) it's just a beautiful message. As we're wrapping up, it's really important that people know that 100% of the proceeds to the sale of this book benefit Children's Cancer Program. Yes. I wanted people to know this. And as we're wrapping up, Chris, what do you want to leave our listeners with? I want everyone to know that you're not alone, that you're not alone. Somebody has gone through what you have gone through. And we need to talk about, we need to talk about addiction more. We need to talk about divorce. We need to talk about single parenting. We need to talk about grief. Our loved ones are with us and they're guiding us. So keep your eyes open, look for the signs, talk to them, and they're with you. And it's so much love and so much joy. And even after you lose someone, when you think you will never laugh again, you will. And you will find joy. In fact, it's much deeper because you have a deeper appreciation and a deeper gratitude for everything. I always was a compassionate person, and I always had a lot of empathy. But I find since going through this, since Scott's illness and his death, I'm even more compassionate. I feel what other people feel. And I think that's a good thing. And we can turn our pain, and everybody has pain, but we can turn that pain into good and into joy and into helping others. And that's what we should be doing. That's what life, I think, should be. I want to thank you so much for coming and sharing your words with us, the insight and the love of life that you have. And your beautiful son. Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. You can find Christina at Live, Laugh, Fly on Facebook. And we will have a link to the book on the Word of Mom radio page for the show. Get this book. It's a book that you should read and then give it to somebody else to read (laughs) and share it along. It is a story that should be shared because Everything we learned, we learned in kindergarten, right? It does. And it's about having a life. And, and I agree with you that the only time somebody's truly dead is when nobody ever talks about them, when yeah. nobody is there to remember them, when nobody can laugh at something that they said or did and stuff. So keep on sharing those people that you may have lost because you can't put your arms around them. But believe me, right. you don't, you don't, you never really lose somebody. Yeah. They're always with us. They're always always with you. Love them enough to take them along, you know, is really what it is and, and, and honoring it. So you have honored your son and his life so beautifully. And I thank you for being here. And for all of you tuning in, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for sharing time with us. We are going to close out with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. So till next time, this is Dory DiCarlo saying go out and create a marvelous you. Bye for now. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She-